What? What? <laughs> it's. <laughs> You're committing crimes now? No, I've never committed a crime in my life. You passed your luck check. It's the No Class Podcast. With your felonious hosts, Eddie. And Chico. I mean, Matt. Chico and the man. That's right. Chico and the man. We'll go ahead and start this off with one of the oldest references. I love it. All right. Isn't that Fat Albert? It is. We're going to write weird old references or something. I don't know. Restart the podcast in da, 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 da. three, da, two, da. one. You passed your luck check. It's the No Class Podcast. I often wonder how many times I could get you to do that. Probably five tops. Do you think the listeners would appreciate that? They damn well better. If we just did the intro five times in a row. And then just that was it. Put that out for the week, the two week. That'd be brilliant. They'd love it. When they see the like one minute 30 podcast, they're like, what? And all it is, is you passed your luck check. It's the no class podcast. But you know what? That probably get the most hits, the most listens. It might be our most popular one. I think that's what I think. So if you were checking us out before the Twitch show, because you want to see what this is going to be like, uh-huh. I apologize. Absolutely. He, he apologizes. I apologize for the both of us. Yeah. You because legally, I am allowed to speak for the both of us. Womp womp. Yep. So what's going on, brother? I heard you wanted to talk about the long con. Heck yeah. Who wouldn't? That's what everyone's talking about. It's the word on everyone's lips. The long con. It's going to be exciting. We're looking to have all kinds of cool special guests. We've got uh, from Torg Games, John Watson, from uh, Stiff Whiskers Press with uh, The Weirdest of Frontiers, David Beatty, and of course from Goodman Games, Joe Goodman was kind enough to Joe, We got Joe Goodman? No, but he lit Brendan off the leash, and he's off the hook and off the chain. We're getting Brendan LaSalle beast mode himself. But what? how much extra would we have to pay to get him on the chain? Well, or if he gets out of line, we could beat him with a chain. Or on the leash. There I think go. that might... Be, he's been unleashed at other cons, but he's uh-huh. never been leashed at the con. I think that would be a cool thing. Yeah, we might start that some could be sort cool, of... cool, different thing like for him. Like a charitable kind of function, like... See how much, like, there's a money goal. Like, we, we we can leash Brendan if you hit the threshold for charity. And put him in the stockade thing, the yeah, stocks. Exactly, exactly. And throw apples at him. Rotten tomatoes. Ooh, horse apples. Yeah, there you go. Or mountain He'll oysters. remember us forever with that black eye and bruise <laughs> in his face. Broken nose. <laughs> Best con ever. Five out of five. Back, back in Matt's day, they used to have horse apple fights. You know it. Or cow pies. We'd fling cow pies. The ones that had dried up like a Frisbee. But sometimes they weren't completely dry in the middle. And mm-hmm. sweet gumball fights. Oh, yeah. Pine cone fights. Yeah. Yep. Dirt clod fights. And there's always that one jerk who, ooh, I thought it was a dirt clod, but it was really a rock. Yeah. 
we were that's, that explains a lot so we're saying the hillbillies are coming to hollywood yeah on the goodman games channel right right heck yeah but long con it's going to be great it's going to be this year november 11th 12th and 13th at okay. the prestigious put your pinky out when you say it holiday inn that's the one there off of hawkins and it is rather nice we're moving on up within walking distance of some fine restaurants absolutely definitely uh i love the chips at papacitas which is within staggering distance and those badges go on sale april 26th which coincides with <gasps> the premiere of our twitch which is called the no class live cast oh yeah, hmm. no class live cast what do you think about that Let's see. You passed your luck check. It's the No Class Live Cast with your visible host, Eddie and Matt. So, see, you have that to look forward to, folks. Yeah. And you're in on what I guess the name is going to be. I put a lot of thought into it. So, probably for the live show, we will just do the introduction maybe 20 times. Yeah. Yeah. And call it good. Really just stretch it out. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't, indeed. And then we'll just rake in all them big dollars from Goodman Games. Internet dollars. Internet dollars. Those are the best dollars to have. Absolutely. Some I, people investing in Bitcoin, but not us. Mm -hmm. We're investing in the internet dollar. I'm wondering if I'd take it out in DCC paraphernalia trade, if I'd get a better deal. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway. Raise your price to belt buckles. Exactly. I want my belt buckle back. All right, I want, give I want me back, back give me back my buckle. All right, so that's enough of that nonsense. Is it? Maybe. If we could only tell right now how many viewers have turned, clicked off this episode, mm -hmm. we would know exactly. We'd be like, that was too much. Well, are they viewers yet or are they listeners? They're listeners, but soon they'll be viewers. God but bless But they're them. already friends. Exactly. These are our friends. friends. We don't have fans. Yeah. We have friends. Because we love you people out that's there. That's what we've said before. We love y'all. On a slice of bread with lettuce. Particularly a shout out to Mrs. L and the... The four little amigos. She's my favorite fan. Exactly. Exactly. Except for Bo in Atlanta. Bo in Atlanta. Who sends us a email saying, Gaming Gods. Oh See? My. It's catching on. Uh-oh. We're, we're moving up in the world. Feel free, folks. Is this Atlanta, Georgia or Atlanta, Texas? Uh, Not specified. Wow. The wonders okay. of email. Yeah. And he has a question for us. Uh-oh. With all your experience in gaming, what monster have you never fought or you just think is completely underutilized? And in that one, I'm kind of like, if you're like, I just wrote an adventure and it's full of goblins and orcs, I'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's yeah. the most the most overused. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, that's one thing I like about uh, DCC, talking about Plugin Goodman, is that they try to tell you to make your monsters unique. unique. And even if it is an orc or a goblin, they've got charts where like you can customize the orc or goblin, like at least the coloration pattern or different little special quirks they have. I made an extensive chart that expounded upon that that I might have to submit to the Gong Farmer's Almanac. Yeah, they're having some troubles getting that one put out this yeah, year it's I was, I was wondering about that yeah god bless them they're mm. doing the lord's work yeah, absolutely Cesarekin's work the dark lord's work um 
But yeah, no, no, but definitely. I'd say that for anybody, whatever game you're playing, make your monsters unique. Yeah, use orcs, goblins, zombies, but do something to kind of zhuzh it up, you know. Make it a little chef's but back kiss. back to the question. Yes. What monster have I never fought and or utilized as a game master? I started to say Umberholt, but I vaguely remember through the cloud of potato water that in the old LG 3.5 days, we fought like a greater giant Umberholt. So that's not true. I fought red dragons. I don't think I've ever fought an intellect devourer. Really? Yeah. And I don't think I've ever used them. I'm trying to think. You know, that's the brain with legs. Yeah. I was trying to think if we just came across one of those at Gary con. Wow. There, that there was one or, cause I'm thinking we were in pretty much all the same games. Well, I will right? say this. I've never fought or used a mind flare before. I don't think, but we fought a mind flare at Gary con. I won't say which game, cause I don't want to ruin the surprise for people, but it was cool because that's an iconic monster, but I've just never had to fight one. Before. You kind of did in the, uh, slave minds of whatever my world was. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because but, those were unique monsters that I reskinned. I was going to say, you reskinned a lot of stuff, so that's where, which was cool. Like, you're fighting this, but you don't realize you're fighting so-and-so, which is brilliant. So there, I, so what did I do? Yeah, so I don't think I've ever fought an intellect devourer off the top of my head. What about you? I think these are a three, 3.5 monster where they came in was the red caps. Yeah, yeah. We fought quite a few red caps in 3.5. But that's one that I think I've seen maybe once. Because remember, I had a red cap in um, that's Apotheosis. That's probably where it was. Yeah, Apotheosis. I had a red cap. Yeah. But that's the first thing that springs to mind for but me. You, but you fought one. You played Apotheosis. so. But the, I, I would say highly unused. Okay. Especially I'm, if you're a newer player. Do they even have them in 5th edition? I'm not aware if they do. I don't think so. Because I think that would be the catch for a lot of people yeah. is, I've only played 5th edition. Well, then you don't know about, um, what was the Chain Demon? Yeah. Chain oh. Demons seemed like they were all over 3.5. Absolutely. We fought giant ones and big ones and small ones and multitudes of them. Yeah, but yeah. you don't really see that now. I don't. Do they even exist still? No, they do. I think they're in 5th edition. I'm, I can see it in my mind's eye, but I'm probably just crazy. Could be that too. Yeah. But did they say never or did they just say you don't see much? Uh, what have you never fought and is extremely underutilized or is extremely underutilized? So you you have fought a red cap, so. You son of a. You're going to keep dig, dig deeper, son. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to skim the surface and call it good. Bo went to the trouble of sending that in. The least we can do is you reply properly to his missus. So what was your answer again? Intellect devourer. And I still say you have, so there you go. No, I, I, dude, I, I've, you know, it's funny. I own a handful of Intellect of our miniatures, but I've never utilized them. Well, while I'm stalling, <laughs> would you say the Intellect Devourer mm -hmm. to a wizard mm -hmm. is the same as a Rust Monster to a warrior? Only in its newer iteration. See, back in the old AD&D days, it did psionic attacks. And see, probably why they didn't get used much was most GMs, kind of like talking with uh, Bill Barsh recently, he did not like the concept of psionics in his fantasy. And so remember the Mind Flayer had sonic powers, the 
intellect devourer had psionic powers, and they were particularly, I think, if you had psionics, your mind gave out this beacon that drew the intellect devourers. Like they might show up in adventure. So honestly, suddenly the psionic guy in your group is a liability. That was kind of like, what? But nobody, you had to roll like, you had about a 3% chance if you had a high intel and wisdom in AD&D of like, people would forget it, but you're making a character, you go, hey, can I check for psionics? And you go, sure. And the guy who thinks of it is never going to roll point one two three whatever but yeah so we never had sonics in ad and d games not because we weren't willing but just no one ever made the role to just happen to have it and if a guy showed up to your table like oh i've got sonics yeah all right gary <laughs> that's exactly what i was thinking too. okay how about a cranium rat <sighs> is that is that's a that's a newer concept isn't it uh, i can remember them from uh, they were in second edition, Baldur's Gate and such. Yeah, oh. I think they were in there. Okay, but I haven't seen anybody use them in a tabletop game. Hey, and you've never utilized them. Well, actually, <laughs> why that sticks in my brain is when we stopped. See, I can't even come up with the name of my world anymore. That's how long ago we stopped playing it. Didn't know that you ever really named it. We just it was your world. What? Yeah, it has a name in uh. in Vernez. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's That's probably right. like Land of the Lost or something mm-hmm. beautiful like that. But in uh, that world. Or what's the video game for Sega? Uh, the Land of the Red Sun or whatever it was called. Yeah. See, this is my day to not remember anything. Wow. But. You remember a map moment. Warriors uh, of the Eternal Sun. Of the Eternal Sun. Yeah. Sega classic game. But when we kind of broke up that last one, mm-hmm. the coming back module, because mm-hmm. I think we ended on Ben Burns' Isle of the Ancients. Yeah. I think that's where it stopped at. I, I'll, I'll never forget because we got to kill a gnome. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was a high, high water mark. But the returning adventure would have been you guys going into the sewers that mm-hmm. was full of cranium rats. Uh-huh. And uh, here's one for you. It had a, what is it, a flump? And I was just going to say, I've never fought or utilized a flump. Before. So there was a in there. Yeah. He was an NPC that you would have rescued, hopefully. Or killed outright just because we were crazy. Potentially. But he's already, he's kind of been uh, battered down by them. Mm-hmm. So he's laying there all deflated. Oh. That would have been pretty pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. You, sh- you should do that. I should write that up and mm-hmm. put it on a napkin and throw it away. Absolutely. Flush it. Wipe your hiney with it. But you know what we say when we get a question? Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks. And you've got a special package oh on the way my. to you. Might be some t-shirts. Might be some books. Oh my. Might be whatever we sweep off of our kitchen tables. Exactly. But you've got goodies on the way to you. Thank you, Bo, for the question. Yeah, thanks, Bo. Keep them coming and enjoy our package. That's the kind of high-quality innuendo you'll only be able to get away with on the twitch show exactly see on this one we can say damn yeah twitch show can't do it and and fooey i know i know it's pretty salty wow. there a little salt you're done there. now i know i know i'm out of here all right yeah Ooh, uh, moving right along please do books comic books so i the topic of this one is going to involve a lot of books but do you have any books outside of that currently no books and i'm still reading the conan chronicles and kind of taking my time with that all right in the comic books i read some of the infinity comic avengers infinity infinity comics are ones that they're doing as part of a digital like you subscribe to our service so you get to read these 
So they're, they're like straight to digital, no hard yeah. copy. Yeah. And I've read some of the other ones and they're pretty bad. Wow. They're really short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this food tastes horrible. And why are there such small portions? But some of them have been pretty bad. Uh, mm-hmm. The Avengers is really circular, circling around Thor right now. So mm-hmm. there you go. That's all you got to say. Mm-hmm. But there was a really cool concept where there's all these villains going around just eradicating universes. Oh, wow. In prehistoric times. So in this world, they go and kill Mother Odin before Thor can even be born. Yes, mm-hmm. Mother Odin in this one. It's all these different worlds, Matt. Come on. Uh, allow it to allow the wokeness to wash over you. Shut your face. This is acceptable to me. <laughs> I think that's fine. In the alternate universes, it's not like like even the female Thor. I'm okay with. Yeah, whatever. Well, at least could they have said Mother Odina or something? It probably was. Okay, but then again, maybe not. Yeah. But anyway, the point of this is they've uh-huh. wiped out Thor before Thor is even born in this he, world. He was retroactively or pre yeah. pre destroyed for your enjoyment. So they're trying to destroy all their weapons and stuff like that, but somehow mm-hmm. the uh, hammer escapes and burrows down deep into the earth. Deep. And in this world, uh, mining is a huge thing. Uh-huh. So there's this blind miner, and he's digging further in the depths of the earth than he's ever dug before, and mm-hmm. he finds something, and it calls out to him. Oh and he lifts it up, and it crackles with energy. And boom, he is now the Thor of that world. Is he still blind? Yes. Uh-huh. So I thought, yeah, that's that's kind of a cool Interesting. twist. Yeah, yeah. But the guy was worthy. He was a really noble miner. Yeah. And so, and in this world, instead of like the Green Goblin and Ghost Rider or what have you, they have the Green Ghost, uh-huh. which kind of mixes the two of those together. Uh-huh. So Blind Thor starts fighting the Green Ghost or whatever, mm-hmm. and he immediately starts getting stomped down. Yeah. And he's like, you know, how am I supposed to? win this battle I, I'm gonna I'm gonna die mm-hmm. and it turns out that was indeed what he was supposed to do his only thing was to get Thor's hammer uh-huh. from inside the earth and then he tosses it into space so that it has a chance to find another hero and continue the fight who's way worthier so but that was the thing it was like his mission was just to launch the hammer on to the next it's like the hammer's like, I thought oh, that was kind of a cool twist. You're, you're not worthy, but thanks for getting me out of the earth, buddy. Well, you're worthy, but you alone cannot do this. Wow. And then out there where he throws it into space, there is a gathering of hammers. Oh, my. They're gathering their power. A gathering of hammers. Kind of like a sausage fest. Then there's going to be a mega hammer. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of just a cool concept That's for it to be a blind Thor trying yeah. to fight. That's and I was like, this is the, the lowest of the low becomes Thor. And then instantly he dies, That's which awful. was kind of a bummer. Yeah, totally. I, I was kind of excited, and then, yeah. But there's your update on some comics. Well, thank Mother Odin for that. How about some TV? Television. TV movies are okay, but movies in TV are not. They walked away from movies then. All right. I have finally finished up The Shield again. Oh, my. And even better. It's even better. Actually, it's got some twists and turns that you can't get back. So if you rewatch it, that's all well and good. Like but that's one of those. Bad again. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those that you're like, oh, if only I could watch this again with my virgin eyes. Yeah. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I still highly recommend it to you. Uh, going through it again, I can say the whole thing, it's all good. 
There's no junk. There's no like, well, it was really good until the last episode. New no, yeah, like all, all these shows the way through. Where it's good through season one and two, but they phoned it in season three or four. No, it's it's solid all the way through. Yeah, it doesn't just go to black in the middle of the ending or anything. Don't stop. Yeah. So you get a good ending. Really, mm-hmm. really cool show. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Movies. I finally got to see No Way Home, Spider Dude. Oh, I really like that one. What did you think? I enjoyed it. It just, one thing that kind of perturbed me was, so Stephen Strange is the Sorcerer Supreme. Mm-hmm. And he's like botching spells. And because at first they're talking about how like Wong or Wang or whatever is now the uh, Sorcerer Supreme. And I'm like, huh, how'd that happen? Well, it might be because of all this janking around on spells and screwing them up left and right. And I'm like, this guy's the Sorcerer Supreme and he's botching these spells. Like, is there something I missed, like a a Marvel movie that explains why suddenly he's inept or something? I mean, did I miss? Because I don't watch every Marvel movie out there and sometimes characters are into, like, well, they're leading up to their own movie. In the meantime, they'll make an appearance in these other people's movies and do something that changes the paradigm or something. But I'm like, what's going on with Stephen Strange? You know, that he's like, hold up, up, I screwed the spell up. But, but other than that, yeah, it just kind of perturbed me, but he's, he's a damn sorcerer supreme. Um, but, uh, that's one of those, but uh, I enjoyed the movie. Absolutely. No, you can only be as competent as the plot calls for. Like I always said, you don't, I'm not mad at the character. Like I, most people can't, some people can't separate that and I get perturbed. All right, so how about some video games? Well, I've still been ringing those Eldens. I don't remember last time. Did we? Was I already a two-time, two-time no, Elden Lord? You were a one-time Elden Lord. Last now time. I am a two-time, two-time Elden yeah, Lord. Yeah. Once uh, strength melee and once uh, casting wizard Harry Potter. But then again, you weren't like you weren't just like straight because you you had this dabbling in different stats or something, right? Did you use faith spells and sorcery spells and uh, yeah. a little? Okay, which I you mean, could kind of call that, that the quality build. Yeah, yeah, or a you know jack of all trades. He kinda. was mostly a caster, but he had skills. Yeah. He could do a little bit of everything. He wasn't completely right. just yeah. one thing or the other. Well, I've you know um, no excuses, but yeah, I've been busy and uh, but finally the gauntlet was thrown down. I was like, all right, that does it. I'm ready. To, I'm going to, I'm ready to finish this thing. And last night due to some great tips from uh, Eddie and Cody, I was able to centralize your game. Exactly. And then now look at me, I'm a Elden Lord, but I thought I was going to get to be, since I did the Rani quest or whatever her name is, I thought I'd get that ending. You didn't No, I got the one where I tried to take a picture of my phone where I'm on. Did the Did you miss her summon sign? There was a summon sign? Yeah, she's got a summon sign down. You walked over to the anvil or whatever. So when you did that, you walked right past her summon sign. You have to summon her in to get that ending. Oh, well, whatever. I ended. I'm glad. It's kind of my white web at that point. I'm like, I just want to be done. So, yeah. But a glowing review of the game. I just wanted to be done. No, I mean, it's been fun, but seriously, it was getting to a point where I'm like, all right, I'm ready to be done. But I had a lot of fun with it. But as far as we were starting to talk about this earlier, while we were having delicious right on barbecue. But um, so Cody's tip uh, about uh, Loretta's bow or whatever. Mastery. Mastery. Great tip. Way to go, Codes. So. I'll, I'll tell you this story. So the other night before this new damn patch had came out, you were able to do a cheese where you could mm. walk right up to, who's the first wave? Redan. Redan. You could just walk right up to him, and if you don't target him or attack him with like a direct attack spell, he just stands there. That doesn't work anymore? 
Oh, and I love it how I get home from work last night because I was going to use that to get past the first part easily. They patched that, and luckily the patch had downloaded while I was at work. And Yay. Yeah. But then again, I'm proud to say I fought him proper. So I figured, well, my darn ash pet thing will be beat to a nub by the time I get to the open beast. But last night, I hit my moment. The synergy was there. I don't know, whatever, but I was able to really tumble and keep aggro off of the pet, but not get killed by him. And really, whether that first fight pretty easy, so I'm like, you know, I'm glad that that cheese is gone. I did really good. They might have nerfed him a little bit to make up for that cheese mm-hmm. being gone. And then I get to the Elven Beast. Well, uh, oh, and the other thing was I had I had not been using the Mimic much lately. I've been using uh, Tish or whatever. But I'd switched the Mimic because he was great when I was fighting Tarnished Lord what's his face and a couple other ones but no i kept trying to use the mimic and finally i said you know what let me switch back to tish there you go tish helped me annihilate radigan or whatever really fast elden beast sometimes i said she malingers no she got in there and got stuck in and i backed way the heck off and was just using loretta's well first the moon which is supposed to enhance your casting and then the bow melted that thing i mean i literally when i just i'm so busy in the moment finding i don't look at the health bar all of a sudden i saw the thing start to you know you know what it does when the picture dies dies and disintegrate and i went oh i'm done i was like i threw the controller at the wall and (laughs) you know anyway but yeah so but yeah i beat it It it's fun all right yeah so i hope you have enjoyed probably the last elden ring update for a while yeah, we were figuring y'all were probably sick of it by now, but anyway. All right. I oh, promptly well. loaded uh, Fallout 76. <laughs> so we kind of have sort of not exactly talked about our topic yet. Yeah. But while we're at it, I want to say this is episode number 60. Wow. Who would have thunk it? I never would have thunk it. We are really at probably our three-year anniversary right about now. As I was looking at the other day, yeah. And we will be revisiting episode one on the Twitch show. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go back and listen to that sad episode one mm-hmm. and see how it is, see how it holds up mm-hmm. and chime in on the Twitch show, that'll be one of the things that we cover. But man, mm-hmm. 60. But yeah, the, you know, the first three, four, five, six, we were kind of finding our way. but um, yeah. And then we gave up yeah. on finding our way and just yeah. said, eh. Whatever. Here's what we're doing. But yeah. So thank you if you've been there from number one or number 59. Thank yeah. you for sticking in there with us. Regardless. Yeah, we appreciate y'all, man. And hope to see you on the Twitch show. Yeah, please tune in. It's going to be Tuesday. April 26th at 8 o'clock a, uh, Eastern. But for us, Central is uh, 7. seven. Which who knows? You might, if you're, what, what would that be, Pacific? Or even in merry old england or something i don't know well i think specifically it'll be seven <laughs> this is why we always needed to be on the twitch show you so you could see the light dying in his eyes yeah. with that joke Th- this is where yeah i want to see some pop up like i'll give you 20 bucks to jeff's laughing for whatever <laughs> but anyway all right man um so the topic for today yeah. what i'm going to say the topic is is who invented the rpg to help us determine that, we well, well, I have, did, of course. Well, that that was easy. Yeah. To determine that, we have Game Wizards: The Epic Battle for Dungeons and Dragons, a fine book written by John Peterson. Mm-hmm. We have Empire of the Imagination, 
uh, Gary Gygax biography by Michael Whitwer. Mm-hmm. And we have Secrets of Blackmore, mm-hmm. which was a extremely boring movie that Extreme. we suffered through for you. Yeah, we did. Much like Game Wizards. No, I'm kidding. So, who invented the role-playing game? Give them the foreplay. So. Oh, wow. Okay, well... Ooh, that's this is this is a contentious topic, and I I think because um, you know there's there's a lot of varying opinions, um, but it's interesting if you look at if you look at both books and Blackmore, definitely I would say you know the one book paints a picture probably of Gary, another one kind of leaves it up in the air, you know maybe leans a little bit towards Arneson, and the movie actually made it where like really even Arneson shouldn't get the credit. It should almost be, um, what's that cat's name? The guy whose game we were supposed to play in. Wesley Braunstein, or, or the game was Braunstein, but what's his actual name? Wesley. David Wesley? Is that David something? Wesley or something like that. Anyway, yeah. See, see, we're already, you know, yeah, falling apart. But no, um, but yeah. That's that's basically, you know, the, the deal is, that, like, some people give Gary credit, some people give Arneson credit, some people give them dual credit, uh, and like I said, even soon we'll talk about the progenitor, that's the right word, but the thing that came first was Bronstein was the that first instance of role playing in a game of of these types or whatever. So what was like Bronstein, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was something like these guys had been tabletop war gamers. Mm-hmm. And so this guy had said, hey, I got this crazy idea, this David Wesley guy or whatever. And they got together, and it's this town called Bronstein. It's supposed to be in this fictitious realm of theirs where these wars and conflicts took place. And he's like, before we get back to the actual campaign where we'll all break off and you'll each run your little armies or whatever, let's get to the political schemings and backdoor dealings and backstabbery or whatever. So that's like, you'll play the role of one of the local, like one of them's local magistrate. One guy's the captain of the militia, you know, something like that. One's the tax collector or something. So one's the, the chamberlain of the local Lord. And so anyway, each one of them had a role to play and there was all this scheming and, and, but they're, they're playing these characters. So technically yeah, that was role playing. They're playing a role and it was in a game. So that, and that was something that, uh, uh, Dave Arneson had been involved with that. And Dave Arneson, they said, was just gaga for it, the whole concept or something. So they think that he, that's what was the initial spark, was having played that. And then he took, once again, to, you know, you, they, you hear people talk about, well, they took chain mail and they took the characters and, you know, outside of the tabletop conflict well i really love my one little warrior guy who's done so well and survived so many battles let's give him a story let's give him a name and you know let's have an adventure away from combat or something with him you know so anyway how would you would you expound upon that that's pretty much who i lean to is probably bronstein was the actual first Uh role playing game where you're playing a role Mm -hmm. but there's definitely a case for Gygax mm-hmm. and Arnson. Yeah. And it's really hard to pin down one person and say, aha, there was that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like nowadays, like when you see they keep taking classic movies, I say classic, but good Lord, the 80s, think how long that is. You can say classic. But they take classic books or movies or comics and they're turning them into 
TV shows and movies and you go, wow, are they rehashing them, redoing them, you know? And you go, man, nothing's original. You know, back in the day, things were original. Well, here we gave so much credit to Arnest and Gygax for like, that was an original idea. Well, was it? Exactly. You know? And so what is original? But the thing about it is, even if it wasn't maybe necessarily Arneson's idea first or Gygax or whatever, who breathed life into it? You know, who brought it to the masses? Who uh, did the work of um, publicizing it or, you know, advertising it, you know, popularizing it? And so, but it's interesting was before I read Game Wizards, it was interesting, I kind of leaned... Right, yeah. These yeah. books and movies will change your opinion. They really do. I, I mean, for a long time, I was like, well, it sounds like Gagax. This is in my lifetime. Like, when you were a kid, well, who ran TSR, who ran Dragon Magazine, whatever, I always leaned towards you know, younger. Oh, this is this is really more Gygax's baby. And then some newer data and things that came out, I'm like, well, maybe this was Arneson's baby, really. You know, he brought it to Gary. Um, and then we now, having watched Blackmore, well, Arneson got the idea from Wesley, maybe, or something. Uh, but I will say from reading the books, and it's not my opinion, but I'm just from reading the books, it sounds like Arneson could have been more involved. Arneson could have done more, but Gygax apparently was more of a go-getter. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the, the other better way to say that. And that a lot of times he was like, hey, Arneson, you know, you, you, the ball's in your court. Give me this. Bring me that. You're running a campaign of this back in the, the Twin Cities or Tri-Cities, mm-hmm. whatever it was. And, and he just, it sounds like reading that one book, unless the guy had an ax to grind or had a poor opinion of Dave Arneson, the picture he colored was Arneson was just kind of notorious for not really getting on the stick and dragging his feet. In fact, even after he broke uh, lines with Gary Gygax, a couple of con- companies were like, hey, your name's out there and associated with D&D when he was still kind of known and was somebody. And they're like, hey, give us a manuscript for your D&D competitor. We'll get it out there. We'll get we competing. And he hemmed and he hawed and he flimmed and he flammed and whatever. And by the time he got on the stick, the moment was gone, you know, or something. D&D had taken off like a shot, you know. And yeah, it kind of makes you think it. about when bands break up mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, this guy will be the the star that shoots off and the other guy is just going to fall by the wayside. And you're like, doesn't always work out the way that you think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, Arneson is due his credit and that from what we've read and, and what I've heard, I still Dave Arneson deserves his credit and guy does too. And I, and again, this isn't me. I have no ill will towards good guys. And I've often said, I acknowledge the, the joy that his game has brought me in my lifetime and what he did to get it out there lots of admiration but just from these books and from those shows he might have done some some stuff you know and and that then when he got kind of screwed over in the end it might have been a little karma i don't know you know yeah. yeah i think so i think if you knew gary gygax back in the 80s and mm-hmm. you were at some other competing game company mm-hmm you might think this is the biggest a-hole around. I mean, from everything we read in those books, he was kind of a persona non grata in the gaming community. So in, in Empire of the Imagination, mm-hmm. that is the biography. Mm-hmm. It covers a lot of the same ground and time period mm-hmm. as Game Wizards, mm-hmm. but it's from a different point of view. Uh, it is a much more favorable, loving biography yeah. of Gary Gygax. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say he never says anything, bad about Gary. Yeah. But very little yeah. is uh, said 
And I think that we've actually talked about this on one of our probably single-digit episodes, maybe. Mm-hmm. So you can go back and see what we said on that. Um, again, the book was mostly positive, mm-hmm. but it does mention that Gary had some expensive tastes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll let you tell the story of the horse stable if you want to get it in there right now. <laughs> in stable condition. Yeah, in stable condition. Um, yeah, it was the one where, I mean, basically, at one point, reading in Game Wizards particularly, because that's one thing why Game Wizards was good. I'll say it's a good book, but it was a little tough for me because the guy really got into the minutia, and he really got into well, the to numbers. Go to that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Empire of Imagination is a biography. Uh, Game Wizards, man, that's a collection of data points. Yeah. It's good, but it's yeah. really dry. Yeah. But I love data i love data points yeah so even as i struggled to get through it a lot of the stuff that i really liked Mm -hmm. that could have been just trivia facts Mm -hmm. you were like ugh, and i'm like yes i like that that's cool yeah see so i mean different tastes but yeah for me some of it was a slog but the more juicy tidbits would keep me in yeah because the guy he, he has some juicy tidbits in there that aren't in the other book Anyway, but I think with what you referenced the one part where someone tried to shame him or call him out about you and your, you know, lavish horse ranch with six Arabian horses. He goes, six, get it straight, it's 12, kid. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's just in their face. Yeah, so people, in, but I was getting at, in this, a similar vein was at one point they talk about things were starting to go south at TSR. And everyone's looking around going, we've got to tighten our belts. We've got to cut back. We've got to, they were cutting staff and letting people go. But around that same time when they looked at Gary and said, <coughs> and he's like, what? I mean, like, well, what are you doing to pull back? Oh, nothing. I'm I mean, going to Hollywood. Yeah, he was in Hollywood where they were leasing a ranch house in California, plus his lavish mansion still back the Dragonlands. in Dragonlands in uh, you know, Geneva or whatever. I mean, so now, I mean, he was enjoying this lavish lifestyle, but his thought was like, hey, I'm the one that built this company. I'm the one that put us on the map with, with the game D&D, you know. So I think he thought he was exempt from all that. So the rather uh, favorable biography mm-hmm. also mentions his highs were very high, but his lows were almost intolerable. Yeah. So this is even the biographer talking about him back in the day. It also mentions his growing cocaine use. Yeah. So there's the 80s high life for you. Yeah. Well, it seemed like when we met Ernie, he kind of... Like hat in hand was like, you know, alluded to his wilder days. And when he talks about how bad his health is now, he knows he did a lot of damage in his younger days. He went out to California with dad, you know, so. But I think a lot of that, the experience humbled him. Oh, absolutely. And the book also talks about Hecka Forge and mm-hmm. doing uh, legendary journeys with our buddy Chris Clark, mm-hmm. which we had talked with him just a little bit briefly about that at the last Gary Con. And it's always good yeah. to see Chris. Yeah. Chris, good guy. Uh, but it pretty much covers him through being born until he dies and really talks about how his life changed. Mm-hmm. So when we say some of these things, we're talking about things that happened in the 80s before mm-hmm. he, uh, how do you want to say, changed for the better. Yeah. So we're definitely not trying to slander him at all. No, we're just gosh, talking about no. the historical thing and, yeah. and how he changed. Well, I remember reading in uh, The Game Wizards where you talked about before he hit it big, but maybe they'd already formed the, the very beginnings of TSR. There were times where he would write this letter that was like, I've got to step away and I've, I'm oh, gaming. That's coming up. Oh, my bad. So, yeah. So, of course, being had highs me, and lows. Yeah. So, of course, being me, I have way, way, way too many notes. Yeah. So, I'll zip through them 
we'll try to hit what's yeah. interesting and not bore everybody into tears. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything you would like to expound upon, sure. feel free to jump in. Go for it. In 1973, uh, Gary Gygax resolved to start a game business. Uh, back in those days, no one could expect to make a living off of games like this. So yeah. that's one important thing that I think uh, is cool to remember. $300 idea. Yep. Born out of a game club with about 10 or 15 people. Does that yeah. sound familiar to you nameless out there? Yeah. And, uh, for example, the only way that you would really make money is if you were putting out something like Monopoly, which was selling 2 million copies a year. Mm -hmm. So... Cool facts. Uh, Avalon Hill was the big player in the game. Mm -hmm. In the small war game market, selling Tactics, which used a D20, and Gettysburg. Those were their two big games if you were a tabletop gamer. And, you know, it's funny, I, I've heard of Gettysburg. I mean, yeah, that's oh, still yeah. a very popular game. Uh, Gygax didn't want to sell games, just rules for games. Mm -hmm. uh, war games go back a long way in America. In 1913, H.G. Wells published Little Wars, which was uh, wargaming with minis, which it had already been in Europe and was more established and elite hoi polloi over there mm -hmm. as opposed to the U.S. So that's where the U.S. got into the wargaming thing, really. Mm -hmm. In 1962, Don Featherstone's wargames uh, was used, which was used by Gary Gygax to help build his wargame rules. So that's one of the foundations of D&D, if you want to go back into that. Yeah. 1968, the first Gen Con. Uh, a war games convention. They made exactly $50 in profit. If only, if only we could do that, right? Yeah. Uh, shortly after that, Gary stepped back from gaming as much as he could because it was encroaching on family time. And he had a big family. Yep. Uh... Gen Con 2 rolls around 150 attendees. Uh, after this, Gygax and Arneson started working together. Uh, shortly after that, he steps away from gaming again mm -hmm. to focus on his Christian ministry, mm -hmm. which is something that I don't think people appreciate enough. That uh, Gygax was a, identified as a Jehovah's Witness, and it turned out Arneson as well was involved in the ministry. He did some... Um, Evangelical work or something? Yeah, or something? but both yeah. of them were heavily involved in their religious beliefs. And when you get into all this satanic panic, you I'm sure both of you, those guys, you guys were, were super offended because, yeah, these were good Christian guys. All right, 1970, uh, the medieval game group Castles and Crusades Society formed. Castles and Crusades, yeah. Troll uh, Lords. Gygax loses his job, has a hard time finding another. He has four kids with a fifth on the way. Mm -hmm. uh, he is collaborating with many people on Wargame Rules, one of those being Jeff Perrin. And, uh, Perrinland. That's a place in uh, Greyhawk, the world. It's oh. Perrinland. So, yeah. And those are the ones that came up with Chainmail, which will go on to live in D&D Infamy. Uh, Chainmail added fantasy elements to Wargaming. Very controversial at the time. Cost exactly two dollars. How you like that? Yeah. While it sold well, it couldn't make much. So the Gygaxes survived off of family, friends, food stamps, and even had to have a survival garden. Yeah. So really, he's at the lowest of the lows, and think of the highest heights he's going to get to. Yeah, Gygax worked as a cobbler as a side hustle. Yeah, and yeah. I think that it, you can kind of 
see that explains why he had a bit of an ego when his ship came in. Yeah, he worked hard, you know. He, guys, and he's a lot older at this point. He's in his 30s. Well, that's why they the, the gaming community he hung out with at Gen Con and those kids out of the, like Arneson was a kid by comparison when they first started hanging out. Um, they called him the old man or something like that because he was in his 30s, you know, yeah. Yep. Uh, Gygax and Arneson first game, don't give up the ship. Gygax suggests a 50-50 split of the profits. So there you go. There's foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, a few hundred dollars was the upper amount uh, anyone would possibly conceive of making from war game rules. Mm-hmm. So as you alluded to, we'll get to it again, the $300 idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Carr, who did Fight in the Skies, mm-hmm. and that's the one I think has been held at every Gen Con. Mm-hmm. He's never missed one. He's run that game yeah. every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, was brought in to edit, clean up, and eventually uh, earns a one-third share of the game. Mm-hmm. And that one was, again, I think, where Gygax is saying, hey, Arnson, you need to type up your stuff. You need to get your stuff to me. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he wasn't much of a typist. And that's the hallmark of that uh, Game Wizards book. It's over and over. It seems like Arnest and these companies are like, dude, well, you supposed to have that manuscript to us, you know, a month ago. He was just, and I, I don't know what the deal was. It was a quirk. Or he was, like I said, a really bad typist or just some of these people have great ideas, but they can't seem to sit down and focus, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. They're the only worst enemy in that regard, yeah. And Arnson begins using chainmail with his local club. Mm-hmm. In 1972, Gygax quits gaming again until Gen Con, which this year loses $750. Ouch. But now think if when he said when he stepped away, he had never came back. Oh, at any of these points. But this is one that I always talk but about. I mean, if really drilling that, I mean, think about it. Mean, D&D probably would still have happened. It would have happened. But in what iteration, in what way? Interesting. It's like if Edison never lived we'd probably still have electric Light. lights now yeah and that may be more of a novel concept but somebody these ideas would have been hit yeah. you'd have hit points and armor classes and it may be a little bit different but mm-hmm. all those ideas were out there and it was bubbling up and i think if not gygax i guess just somebody jumped on it before somebody else did yeah. and again he deserves some credit for that yeah yeah the lightning in a bottle yeah uh, Arnson tells Gary Gygax about his Blackmore game with the chainmail rules. Gygax says, uh, send me those rules modifications. And Arnson says, it's really not modifications to the rules. It's me making dungeons and having dungeon exploration. So, hmm, who invented the role-playing game? Where, Where is conception of the role-playing game, right? Mm-hmm. But who did dungeon delving first? Dave Arnson. Yeah. Uh, Arnson also said a referee, especially a sadistic referee, is key to the game. <laughs> so luckily, I feel at least I'm living up to that. Yeah, you, you Hanging are, judge. You're embracing the, the, the original model for a game master. Unless it's barbarians. Yeah. Then the sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gygax said, let's work together on this. The usual 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. So dun, there's dun, the dun. can of worms. Gygax took the information, turned it into 100 pages, adding XP, level advancement, etc., etc. So, I mean, that's where those concepts come in. So, yeah. is it a role-playing game before you get 
the advancement concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's up to you. But it, it, this he is the, also named it Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. So that's almost it right there. It's like, did you come up with the name Dungeons and Dragons? Okay. Yeah, he came up okay, with I the guess, name. I guess you get it. And he took Arson's work and polished it and really zhuzhed it up and got it, you know, cleaned and polished or whatever. Or you could make the case that Arnson had invented it when he added in dungeon exploration. Well, absolutely. Well, if I'm the case is out there, it could to never be resolved. I would say both of them still, no one can say any one of those two guys deserves all the credit. That's what I'm yeah. going to say. And there's lots of more minor figures along the way that didn't get any credit. attention. Yeah. So and It's interesting that that's in the book too, yeah. Uh, in 73, believe it or not, while working on Dungeons & Dragons, frictions arose between Gary Gygax and Arnson. Hard to believe. Uh, primarily, Gygax requesting changes and having to make them themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, TSR uh, is formed and thought D&D is a $300 idea at best, which just blows my mind. But Yeah, so say that I one can, more time for me. I can definitely see where that comes from because when you write an adventure or we run a con mm-hmm. it's not this is going to be the next gen con or this is going to be the next dungeons and dragons explosion or something so yeah. that's really how you look at it yeah. uh, they vastly overspent their budget resulting in brian bloom having to be brought on board with a two thousand dollar investment mm-hmm. bum 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 the retail cost for the first box set was ten dollars mm-hmm uh, most copies, though, sold for just about half of cover price. Wow. Mm. Wouldn't you like to get a hold of some of those? Yeah. Once it started to gain success, uh, Gygax seemed bent on warring with his fellow publishers and authors. Mm. So right off the cuff, as soon as it got any traction, he was out for it. Uh, one of the things in the book that you'll see a lot is Origins versus Gen Con. Oh, yeah. There was a real friction. So Origins is in Baltimore by Avalon Hill. Originally, yeah. Yeah. And uh, in 75, TSR had $6,000 in revenue versus Avalon Hill's $1.8 million. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those data points where I'm like, oh, boy, and Matt's like, Yawn. Yeah. But I thought it was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had five employees, a stock value of $100. Origins had 1.5 thousand attendees, and Gen Con had 1,000 now. Yeah. And that was a big com- competing point was through the years, Gen Con uh, was hoping to outpace them or at least equal them. And when they finally did, oh, they were, you know, full of themselves, yeah. So here's some more of those data points for you for the people that may be interested otherwise. Sorry. Uh, in 76, the revenue is going to be 300K and a profit of 19K. So they have now grown to 10 employees. Mm-hmm. Gen Con does 1.5 attendees and Origins does 2.2K. So uh, the new Origins is already starting to take over. Mm-hmm. 1977. They make a incredible profit, a profit of 39K. So still not really blowing up the uh, world here. Mm-hmm. Uh, with 13 employees, Gen Con takes over from Origins with 2,300 attendees to 2,200. Mm-hmm. Uh, TSR at this time is really going after anybody that's putting out a product similar to theirs or anything that they can 
uh, say is too close to them. So they become the uh, large player in the RPG space. Because there were competitors were quick to come out and or, or imitators, you know, and enforce and kind of uh, send everyone a cease and desist. It's like yeah. that kind of smells like it's on our turf. Mm-hmm. So third party publishers, small party press, they were not fans of TSR at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 78, the royalty disputes break out. What constitutes a set of rules? Uh, how does that pay out? They have. Five or fifty-eight thousand in profit with nineteen employees, and on the what constitutes a set of rules is where they're trying to determine how much they're going to pay Arnson. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, you only get credit on the most basic rules. Yeah. So if it's a monster manual, do you get paid on that, or yeah. do you not get paid on that? And so basically, his thing was, if it says Dungeons and Dragons on the front of that book, I deserve a cut. And it was even after he had not been with the company and not contributed any kind of rules in some time but he's still expected to get that royalty check and so they were kind of like dude you you don't work here you haven't contributed in years you didn't help write any the rules but let's say well wait some of those monsters were in the very first white box i contributed the white box i'm supposed to get part of those profits you're using monsters that you might have changed stats up a little bit but they're still from those core concepts i get my taste i get my beak wet yeah and arnson had worked for tsr for all of 11 months in 1976. So, I yeah. mean, it was in and out, and they made him work the mailroom and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So. so here's a curious question. Do you think Arneson was out of line for expecting those dividends, like how many years later, off products that were that far removed from the original stuff he worked on? Was he out of line or was he? And I'm, I kind of lean both ways. It's like, well, I mean, the man helped propagate the idea. But at the same time, didn't do much beyond that, it seems like. Yeah, I'm not feeling too charitable right now. Yeah, so. right. When I was reading, I was like, eh, yeah, I was conflicted. And a lot of that goes into what did you do next? Yeah. Which Not much of nothing, yeah. Sad so. to say, oh, man, I, do you, well, we'll see if you get to that story. Go so ahead. this might be it. In uh, 78, uh, Gen Con has 2,000 attendees. Origins has 3,400. So how do you like that? Mm-hmm. Um, after Gen Con, some other game makers form Gamma to protect themselves from TSR lawsuits. Mm-hmm. So they had such a bad treatment at Gen Con. They were put out in areas where it was like the lighting wasn't working and blah, 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 blah. Or no air conditioning. Or yeah, something. and yeah. the TSR is putting the thumb screws to them over every little thing they want to release. Mm-hmm. So they band together, and this is where... If you weren't TSR, you hated TSR back yeah. then. It sounds like. like everybody had an axe to grind with, you know, TSR and or Gary Gygax. And Gygax used Dragon Magazine as his own pulpit, you mm-hmm. know, to lash out at these enemies or suppose enemies or whatever. So at Origins this year, 78, uh, D&D wins several awards. Uh, they win all-time best RPG rules, but Arnson goes up on stage before TSR can get there and claims the award for himself. <laughs> That's what I was getting to. So, yeah, that was there's a, some salaciousness. Oh, man. Some I, crazy stuff. And so next thing you know, they were throwing a booger fit, and he said, I'm not going to give it back. I mean, there was some there was some immature antics mm-hmm. on, on, on both sides, not just Arneson. I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. So uh, eventually TSR does get their own plaque. And, uh-huh. 
But yeah, because Arneson refused to relinquish the one, he ran up on stage and snatched up first. Yeah, yeah. 1979, Mazes and Monsters. Dun dun dun. And and the old saying that uh, there there's no such thing as bad publicity. A lot of initially some of the satanic panic brought attention nationwide to the game that no one had ever heard of, and that actually kind of helped our sales a little bit. Yeah, because this is pr- that actually happens pre satanic panic. Uh-huh. This goes huge, uh-huh. and everybody starts playing it, and then, but right now, it's just been on the news, and people are like, I should check this out. Uh-huh. So speaking of that, no one was in the steam tunnels. Right. Never was in the steam tunnels. Nowhere near the steam Found tunnels. him out on some farm. Yeah, somewhere down south. This, and this is a college up north. He was found somewhere like in Texas or Alabama or somewhere. And he had had mental health issues, mm-hmm. and eventually, sadly, he does kill himself. But, but the detective the family had hired was a real Barnum and Bailey kind of T-Barnum that he was using this as a thing to kind of bring notoriety to himself. And he loved the media attention he was getting because they put the microphone in his face instead of the family's. And so that's where a lot of this crap came out of this one guy that he was proven later that everything he said was complete bull crap. Yeah. So uh, last year, profits of... 58,000 this year, 160,000. So you can see there's been a huge boom. Doubled. They have 25 employees, but Origins goes over Gen Con by having 4,100 attendees, while Gen Con has 2,100 attendees. Yeah. So 1980 is the huge year with a profit of $1 million. 76 employees. Uh, Gen Con is 4,000 attendees to Origins 3.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, the TSR board now has three members. Two blooms and one Gygax. Mm-hmm. Important to, to remember. Ding, ding, ding. Lawsuits are flying in all directions. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, 81. Lawsuits flying in all directions. No dream is impossible. TSR will last forever. This is the the golden age of TSR. Mm-hmm. It's right before the wheels come off. But this mm-hmm. is like, we were just freaking, I mean, like I said, a million dollars in profit now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's no end in sight. This gravy train will never end. We're going to be 100% famous forever. People will throw money at us forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but dab but do. <laughs> So in a, oh now they're at 120 employees. Gen Con has 5,000 attendees to Origins three or 4,000. That one can't be nailed down apparently. Mm-hmm. In 1982, bam, satanic panic, mm-hmm. 1.8 million dollars in profit. Mm-hmm. Another huge jump. 180 employees. Mm-hmm. The stock price now is 3,000, whereas back in what 74 we were talking maybe 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting into everything. Yeah. This is when the board games totally and the video games and the movies and, and the knitting spending thing on this. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that was Green, Green Lady. Ladies or something like that. So, yeah. yeah, they bought the... Which was just... It was beautiful. a magazine for crocheting patterns? Or something, yeah. And they got involved with it. So, they're just going to be a media empire now. Yeah. So, uh, this is the time of the three presidents. Mm-hmm. Which, again, the Blooms and Gygax. Mm-hmm. Gen Con... 7,000 attendees to Origins 4,000. Wow. So there's a so clear winner now. People yeah, want they D&D. Have more than doubled, yeah. But then. But then. 1983, a Wall Street Journal uh, article uh, quotes a TSR employee saying, quotes TSR saying, sales will double for the next two years. 
They're just going to keep doubling every year. While a former Dragon editor says, inexperience, nepotism will make it difficulty for things to operate smoothly within the corporation. Because there was a lot of nepotism. Yeah. If you were a Bloom or a Gygax, you were employed at TSR pretty much. And sometimes pretty much you were just getting a check sometimes. But sales are actually leveling off. Mm-hmm. Gygax rides off to Hollywood while TSR employees are fired. Yeah. This year, there's a loss of $69,000. They still have, or they now have 400 employees. The stock is still worth 3K. Uh, Gen Con now gets 8,000 to Origins, 3 to 4,000. So business is booming. But even with that, 1984, the ship is sinking. The losses are now $750,000. The employees, what did we just have? 400. Mm. Now we've got 167. Wow. Slashed by almost three-fourths. Wow. The stock drops a little to 2,500. Uh, Gen Con's going to have 8.6 thousand versus Origins 1.6 thousand. So who can bail these guys out? Who will be their salvation? In 85, you get Lorena Williams and the ambush at Sheridan Springs. Mm-hmm. Gygax will be forced out and uh, by Lorraine Williams, who he brought in, yeah. which we've discussed that more, but mm-hmm. it's just really ironic. Yeah. She was going to be the savior, and she was, but thing was, he was delegating a lot of his authority to her. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing he could have done. Yep. Because she said, well, if I'm doing all this, the hard part of being the boss, why don't I just be the boss? Well, plus she could also smell the corporate raider to it, if you want to say that. Like, yeah. there's a weakness here. I could easily take this whole thing over, get in caboodle. Because it's always sad when the yeah. original owner-operator gets, gets out, out, gets squeezed out. But like that, that was, I mean, the 80s was a big time for all that corporate raiding and, you know, yeah, buy up a company and sack it or whatever. So a lot of people said that the business was run like they were playing a strategy game. Mm-hmm. Which, you've got to think, these creative, brilliant game designers were mm-hmm. not necessarily businessmen. Mm-hmm. And at that, they could be outplayed. Yeah, absolutely. Now, and that's the sad fact that was that, um, you know, uh, at one point when the Bloom Brothers went to Lorraine and offered her their stock, which once she bought it, she was the controlling partner, they, the Blooms swear that they had been trying. They talked to Gary numerous times about buying their stock, and he kept putting them off and putting them off. And he swears that they never had any such conversation. But from reading the books, it sounds like Gary shot himself in the foot a couple yep. different times over, and it's really a shame. But then again, you know. He assumed he was irreplaceable, and without him there was no company. Mm-hmm. And they proved him wrong. Yeah, a lot of, you know, get filled with your own kind of hubris and, The whole thing is really sad, the whole way it played out. In the end, I mean, TSR got bought out by Watsy, which got bought out by Hasbro. And, you know, it's a shame that there's not, anyway, how things played out. And interestingly enough, I can't think of the guy right now that had, that owned Watsy. And when he sold it off, is it Dan or Dave? Dave? Yeah, something, Davison or whatever, that when he might have got rid of, Watsy, he but kept Gen, Gen Con because that's still Which that's ching, money. Ching, ching. Yeah, that's money. Without all the real hassle to it, something you have to do once a year, and it makes obscene amounts of money. Yeah, and that's pretty much where the game wizards drops off. 
Mm-hmm. And you can kind of pick up more of the story in Empire of the Imagination where it talks about an older, wiser uh, Gygax moving forward and uh, for the love of the game, becoming a ambassador of gaming like he did in later years and yeah. becoming the beloved figure yeah, uh, I think he was. Yeah, for a guy who was so reviled at the height of his, uh, you know, when things were really soaring and then it, being humbled, he was this beloved figure or whatever, yeah. Um, but it's funny, I will, one of the, because me, is the little uh, tacky little bits that basically at one point when um, you had, the, these guys were kind of at each other's throats. Maybe not throats, but they were, they were trying to keep it civil, but there was that contention between them. When things went south between Arneson and Gygax, that they they got a little petty or tacky. And, mm-hmm. and Arneson was a younger guy, but they basically uh, put little jabs in. So Arneson, when it sounded like he didn't do anything, he did was able to get a few things out there, but it wasn't that much, you know. And but one of the things he did do was for one of these companies, it was like a supplement, an unofficial supplement for D&D sold through a competitor that was his Blackmore campaign. And in that there is a figure that's called the Egg of Coot mm-hmm. and EGG, E. Gary Gygax. Remember, he was like older than those other gamers. So they always called him the old man. Well, in that the Egg of Coot, it was a not so subtle, but still a dig on Gygax. Well, Gygax took note. Because later well, on, we talked about that. Is this the yeah. village Hamlet? Uh, actually, well, there's yeah, there's actually a dig in the village of Hamlet, and there's a dig in against the giants. Okay. And this is an excerpt from the book. Let me see. I've got it right here. It talks about um, it's, it's a three-party adventure that confronted parties with hill giants, frost giants, and fire giants against the giants. The story is tied to that which will be run at Gen Con, so that the gamers who attend both conventions play in the D and D tourneys at each will be doubly pleased. Gygax promised a campaign. No doubt retaliation for his apparent cameo appearance as the egg, uh, the egg of Coot in the first fantasy campaign. That was the uh, supplement by Arneson. Gygax would not, could not resist character, caricaturing his co-author in this adventure setting. The hill giant chief was named Nostra, which spells Arneson in reverse minus the E. And the background text describes him as a grossly fat and thoroughly despicable creature, sly and vicious, loving ambush and backstabbing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this only slightly coded reference was probably overlooked by the tournament participants, but Gygax surely delighted in leading groups to slay the loathsome adversary. Uh, yeah, and so anyway, I was going to say, and, it, and that ended up being a published module. So I mean, and then in the village omelet, he's the fat, greasy yeah. guy Dumb, traitor. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, so Gygax got he, he took he, some shots. Yeah, where he could have said, I, "I'm more older and mature, and I won't." No, he took his shots. So. Well, I guess the other thing, speaking of Arnson, is do you remember what his game after that was? Adventures in Fantasy or something like that? I can't remember. Yeah, that sounds something like that. A Fantasy Unlimited or something, you know. But apparently it was easy, it's easier now to find signed copies than unsigned copies because that was pretty much the way that he could sell it, was signing it at conventions. Well, yeah, and I think he would man a desk at conventions. And I'd like one time they were just like, what, stapled together, memory graph pages? I mean, it wasn't even really an official book for its initial iterations or something for a while there he was hunting shopping for a because it talks about throughout the book because of how things went down with Gygax every time someone tried to give him a contract or a deal he would him and haw and flim and flam and he would never sell off the rights to his baby with well, a lot of them were like well I won't follow through or 
the deal would fall through because he wouldn't play ball, you know. Mm -hmm. And so he could have got his product out there and got his name out there, and he might could have vindicated himself or proven, see, look how great my stuff was and been a competitor. But he wasn't the guy to sit down and write a bunch of it either. There's that. And the other side of it was when he finally did, he wouldn't. It's from what I've read in the book, he just would never play ball with these publishers where they would like, it's not done that way, or you need to sign on the dotted line. Or then they would hear through the grapevine that while he's talking to them, he's been shopping around to one of the other competitors to get the better deal. And they would just go, you know what, never mind. I mean, the guy kept shooting himself in the foot over and over again. And I won't say it was greed, but, or just certain financial ineptitude, you know. Sometimes you cut off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. And there seems like there was a lot of that with him. A lot of that, yeah. And a lot of... We'll pay you to come out with this, and it never materialized. Damn. So, like, and I don't doubt that he probably was a very creative individual, had a lot of great ideas, and was very imaginative. But getting him to sit down and do the work for for a published piece of work, he wasn't that guy. And that's why it's a shame the bar, the partnership kind of broke up between him and Gygax because it sounds like Arneson was truly very imaginative and had some great ideas. And Gygax was really good at taking those ideas and polishing them up and compiling them together, you know. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So now you can consider who created the RPG and come to your own conclusion. Yeah. But definitely these books were enjoyable, more so probably Empire of Imagination. Um, that's my opinion. I think Eddie would probably say Game, Game Wizards was worthy, you think? Oh, yeah, they're both yeah. both. Highly yeah. worth. It all depends yeah. on how nerdy you want to be, and you're fairly nerdy for listening to this podcast. Absolutely, you may not be to this horrible level of affliction like me and Matt. And but our buddy Matt Rogers suggested uh, Blackmore, and I'd been wanting to watch it, and I'm glad we watched it. I'll say that it was a little bit of a, a slog, but I mean, but if you're of the ilk and you want to know more of the lore and background, and honestly, there's a lot of people they reference in Game Wizards. Game Wizards covers a lot more ground in that regard than oh, yeah. Empire of Imagination. It's cool having watched Blackmore before I started reading it. I knew it. I was like, oh, yeah, we saw we saw the guy's face. Like, it showed him back in the day and nowadays. and Because they talk about McGarry. Yep. And McGarry was all over that Blackmore movie or whatever. So it's kind of neat to have seen the character, the guy they're talking about who wrote the original dungeon board game or whatever, you know. Yeah, and how long that took to come out, and how he didn't get paid correctly for it by uh, TSR. Yeah, and oof, lots yeah. of people got a lot run of people around. got screwed around and shafted. So again, it's like I hate to say it, but it might have been some karma there, you know. So anyway, all right, is that enough for you? More than enough. All right, we thank you. Please check out the Twitch show. Without you, we are nothing. What day is that? It'll be this. Tuesday, this so coming Tuesday. hopefully this comes out today, Thursday, Yeah, and you get to listen to it Thursday. It's on the 26th of April. Mm-hmm. When will the next show be? Who knows? Probably towards the end of May. Who indeed. And then the next podcast we should see in two weeks with oh another my. awesome topic. Yeah. Get your letters in now at oh, no class RPG at gmail.com is there a podcast? Yeah. No class RPG podcast at gmail.com. Dot org dot nil. Yeah. There are goodies to be had just waiting for your letters. We'll be curled up in the mailbox waiting for your missive. And with that, by the clock on the wall, I can see we're all out of hit point.
Hits. Uh.